Well, good morning, Creekside. Well, thank you for uh, joining us today. We'll be uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just really thankful for the opportunity to uh, study and bring the word today uh, with you all. Uh, For those of you that that don't know me, uh, my name is Pierre Zook. Uh, My wife, Janae, better half, uh, Everett's down our son in nursery. Um, I did marry the pastor's daughter. So check that box. Uh, yeah, so we actually, uh, I should say also, if you are visiting with us today, uh, we do have Bibles in the back. Uh, you're more than welcome to grab those. We're going to be, as I said, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, um, and, and that's our gift to you. So uh, take it home with you. Uh, we really want to be about uh, the Word of God, and we'll see one of the passages today and many in Scripture uh, of studying the Word. Uh, Anyway, we recently uh, found out we're going to be expecting our second kiddo. So, yeah, uh, very excited. Uh, we, uh, yeah, man-to-man coverage, right? Um, so, yeah, so we're going to be second, second one in December. And uh, I work locally here as a physical therapist. Um, grew up, born and raised here in McMinnville. And, uh, yeah, just really love the, the community here and we're, very thankful to be a part of uh, this local church. Um, and so if I don't know you yet, I'd love to, to get to know you. So, uh, you know, as I, I talked about, you know, some of the things that we really value here at Creekside, and uh, one of the things I'm very appreciative uh, about, you know, our, our church here is, you know, we, we really emphasize the expository teaching. And so kind of what that means is, you know, we're going to be going through a text today in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and that's Essentially, uh, what we try to do is, you know, what does the Word of God, you know, uh, want to say, right? And, and what is, uh, we're going to sit under the Word and allow that to, to speak um, as we immerse ourselves in Scripture um, to allow the Spirit of God to, to work in our hearts and minds. Um, so, again, you, you're probably there now in, in chapter 4, uh, just kind of getting a, an introduction there. Uh, these are Paul's last words, as we'll see today. Uh, most likely his last words that ever uh, were written. And so uh, not only does, does he give support for sound biblical teaching, uh, he's going to, to urgently and seriously charge Timothy to preach the word, uh, really because since our natural inclination is to drift, right? We're, we're ones that, we're not stationary beings, right? We're going to drift, right? And, and what are we, uh, you know, following after, Right? Uh, and so our study will be, uh, pick up at the beginning in verse 1, and uh, in the, the second section there, we're actually going to be seeing, um, you know, Paul giving that, uh, his parting words as he's dying in, in prison. And so I think it's important to, to not miss here, before we jump into our text, what is it that, you know, the, the urgency, as I already stated, that, you know, uh, Paul is rooting this final charge to Timothy, and that is uh, Christ, uh, the person of Christ, God the Father, and Christ Jesus, who is the righteous judge, right? He's coming to judge the living and the dead. And so, uh, you know, John 5.22, uh, I think we have it up there on the screen, um, 
It says this, for not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son, right? Christ came into the world, lived a perfect life, died, took the penalty for our sins, and uh, rose again, right? Giving us a way of new life. And yet, in that, he's been given all authority. And that is what Paul roots this charge in, this final charge to Timothy, who's called to lead the church in Ephesus there uh, as a young leader. And so, uh, additionally, not only uh, there's other passages that we could look at, but in particular, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says this, For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. This is Paul again talking to the church in Corinth. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So, you know, Paul is telling Timothy, just like I, in my ministry, am going to give an account, he's telling Timothy, you're going to give an account for everything that you are uh, teaching, right? You are discipling your church. He's saying Christ is the judge, and this is what he's rooting his last words in. So like I said, there'll be five verses that will kind of break up, verses one through five, uh, you know, thinking about Paul's final charge of preaching the word. And then finally in verses six through eight, we're going to see Paul's Christ-centered perseverance until death. Uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and stand. And we'll dive into our text. We'll be reading verses one through eight. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Dear God, I, I just thank you for your word and uh, just um, the incredible work that you've done uh, in, in providing a way that we can have a relationship with you uh, through your son, Jesus. I pray that... Uh, as we dive into this text today, that you would just give me the words to, to speak, fill, uh, fill us with your spirit, um, help me to just get out of the way, and to, uh, to allow you to work in our hearts and minds to change us, Lord, uh, to be urgently um, ready to preach the gospel, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So in that first section, as uh, we were thinking about, you know, you note takers there. So Paul's final charge of preaching the word, 
we've already kind of touched on how Christ is the righteous judge, right? He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. So he's rooting that in the person of, uh, of Christ, right? God the Father and, and Jesus Christ who has that authority. But not only that, he says Jesus is appearing, right? And I think Paul's being also intentional in this, in that uh, we've talked about this in other portions of 2 Timothy, but the inaugurated kingdom, the already, not yet. And that's the time we live in right now. And so why, I would ask that question, why does the inaugurated kingdom why should that give us some urgency? Why would Paul, uh, you know, say, hey, for Jesus' appearing, that's what gives us that urgency. Uh, recently, Janae and I, uh, I mentioned we're expecting our second uh, son, and uh, I said it, we are expecting a boy. Um, that was not on purpose. Uh, anyway, uh, we had an anatomy scan, and we were Really excited uh, to see the baby, of course. Those that have seen a, an ultrasound, right, or have young kiddos uh, in preparation, uh, there's just a lot of excitement. And, you know, getting into the, uh, the ultrasound, there's just a sense of awe and wonder, right, that, you know, a perfect God, you know, from the foundations, before the foundations of the world, he had a plan, right, to form this baby. And, you know, we were, <laughs> we were really, you know, already seeing uh, the baby move, right? The little feet kick in. Um, but there's also some serious anticipation and excitement to meet this baby, you know, face to face. And, you know, as I think about, you know, how that should shift the posture of our lives and, you know, finances and, uh, you know, the way we spend our time, right? And, uh, you know, the excitement that goes into uh, preparing for another baby, right? Uh, that anticipation, you know, I would, I would venture to say, right, would kind of shift the way we live. And, you know, as we think about the inaugurated kingdom, uh, you know, Christ has already come as a baby, right? He's lived that perfect life, and he completed his work on the cross, and he's also going to come again, right, in, in the second coming. And so this should change every aspect of how we live, right? It should change a heart posture if we placed our, our faith in Christ Right, this should totally shift how we live and uh, you know interact with one another. Right, and so uh, preaching the word and be ready at all times that that shifts the urgency of what Paul is trying to to communicate there with Timothy. I think he's being very intentional. And then finally, he he goes on to say, you know, in uh, Jesus' kingdom, right, it, he says that Christ is coming again, right, to establish his eternal kingdom and set all things right. And so then in verse 2, right, we see it, it's pretty abrupt, right? It's immediate. And I think he's also being intentional in that when he says, preach the word, right? It's the, uh, uh, the immediacy and the abruptness is intentional by Paul to say, hey, this is, this is what you're supposed to be about, right? Preach the word. And so the charge of preaching the word is both, I think, to recognize is both for unbelievers and believers, right? Those that have placed... Uh, their faith in Christ and those that have not. And so as we back up, uh, it might be on the same page for you or the page before. In, in chapter 3, uh, Cliff had preached that last week, uh, just a powerful passage. In 3.16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
So Paul is telling Timothy that the gospel is not just a, an evangelistic message. Scripture as a whole, it really does have a core message that, you know, pointing to Jesus, right? And the core gospel of both can be applied to both non-Christians, right? That uh, a call to faith in Jesus and also for professing. If you have come to place your faith in Christ, it is a call to, to continue to believe and live that out in the gospel message through a changed heart. So this really, as we opened up, you know, as we were talking about earlier, uh, this is why expounding on, on scripture is so important. What is that measuring stick that we are living by? The, the, the word is, has the power to change lives. And if, uh, like we said earlier, uh, talking about earlier, there's, we're moving in one direction, right? There is, uh, if, if we're not following after the word, there is, uh, you know, uh, times, right, where we can drift, and we're going to see that next. If we back up one more verse, in verse, you know, 315, it, it, you know, it's acquainted with the sacred writings. He's telling Timothy from childhood, he's been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul's telling Timothy again, be immersed in scripture, right? Live that out, just allow it to change your heart. And, and that's what has the ability to make us wise for salvation and that we could be made complete to do good works for Christ. And it's out of this posture, right? Those things that we're called to preach the word. And so in, in, the next phrase that Paul uses, in season and out of season, I would just ask us the question, are we ready at all times? When it is inconvenient, uh, are we ready to preach the word and to allow uh, you know, the gospel to change our hearts and to share that with others? Um, <clears throat> the, the phrase there, uh, the three words that Paul lists next of reprove, rebuke, and exhort— and I think it's helpful, at least especially for me, you know, like, uh, as I think about, you know, this week, uh, this passage, uh, I need this, right? We all need this of uh, an opportunity to uh, allow the word to change us. And he uses those three words intentionally uh, of Timothy, who's called to lead the church there in Ephesus. Uh, if we define those words, you know, reprove would be really imply a kindly intent, right, to correct a fault, and then a rebuke, that'd obviously be more of a, you know, a sharp and a stern, you know, a criticism, right? And finally, an exhort, that would be more of an encouragement to those that need it, right? And so those three things are unique, but I think Paul is being intentional in how he's listing those uh, items because, you know, I was reading a, one of the commentaries there, John Stott, he used the New English Bible version, and he uses the, you know, the using, use of argument, reproof and appeal, right? And, you know, I think all of us at some, some points of our lives, right, there's, there's doubts, right, that, that need to be convinced by argument, right? Uh, there's other times, right, that people have fallen into sin, right, and need a stern uh, rebuke or stern cor uh, correction. And then others also are haunted by fears, right? There's worries and they need an encouragement. So again, Paul is being intentional in how he's using these, uh, these words, and I think each of us uh, recognize that in the context of the local church, this is what it's meant uh, to look like. 
Not only that, he says, with complete patience and teaching. So Timothy is supposed to have exhaustive patience since the work of ministry is not overnight, right? And so the way Timothy re, uh, reproves and rebukes, it requires him not to seek others' approval, but also not to have that joy of setting people straight. Rather, it's to have complete patience and teaching. And so he's called to do that in, in encouraging and correcting others. If anybody at this point is like, who can do that? <laughs> That's me, right? I, I, I can't do that, right? But I thought it was a, a helpful, uh, you know, quote here from Kent Hughes and, and Brian Chappell, another couple of commentaries. Uh, they're also at that point, too. They read this text, and what, what person can actually do that, right? The, the truth is no one. It says, what a massive charge this is. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. No one is capable for the task. The call itself is an invitation to let God possess you to live a life of profound dependence on him. So if we truly are serious about this charge that Paul's giving Timothy, that you know it is a charge to, to fully depend on the Lord, to change our hearts, to change our desires and our posture in the way we live our life. He's going to go on to say, you know, in verses 3 and 4, the reason for this charge. And so, really, it comes down to, as we've already mentioned already, we naturally move away from the truth. As human beings, we naturally go our own way. And so, he uses the, the phrase, the time is coming. Uh, and if you're like me, it might uh, raise uh, signs of like, okay, this is the end times. And yet, you know... Uh, that's throughout scripture. We are in the last days, the later times, right? At Pentecost in Acts 2, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit was, uh, you know, ushered in uh, by God and, and knowing that, you know, we can be filled by the Holy Spirit. And that's the time now that we live, the already not yet, the inaugurated kingdom. And so when he uses the term, the time is coming, he is intentionally saying, you know, Timothy, you're going to face these times right now. You're going to, you need to anticipate this to happen, right, to you. You're going to have people with itching ears, or another version is, you know, tickled in their hearing. Essentially, they, they want to confirm what they already know or what their illusions or desires are. So when this takes place, Timothy, as a preacher of the word, in its entirety, it would become offensive, right? It should be. The gospel is offensive. The Bible teaches that exclusivity of the gospel in Jesus Christ, right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so uh, we recognize that Christ is the only way, and that, that can be very offensive. And yet, uh, Paul is calling Timothy to be a uh, you know, preacher of the word even when it is at a cost uh, to, to be at uh, you know, the ideas and the, um, the worldviews of the world. And so if we are in that natural inclination of wandering off into mist, that's uh, to suit our own passions instead of confronting reality of the, the gospel message which says, hey, we are sinners, right? We're in need of a Savior and are headed to destruction without one. And so 
I would just, you know, a couple of points of application at this point, uh, just to pause here and, and just ask the question, what influences are we listening to right now? Are we, you know, having uh, our uh, desires and illusions confirmed, right? Confirmation bias, right? Is there things in our hearts that we're, uh, you know, not following after the Lord, right? And what the barometer of, of the word of God you know, is it a, a political party that we're being uh, swayed as this is the way? Is it, you know, social media, news that we watch? The influences sometimes are passive, and yet nothing in it in itself is passive. We are moving in one direction or the other, and yet Paul is calling Timothy to be about preaching the word and letting that shape his heart. And so I would just ask, are we going to be a people that are attentive to receiving a reprove, a rebuke, and exhort uh, when necessary, right? Or are we going to be those that listen to those messages that confirm our own illusions or desires? So uh, finally, I, I would ask, you know, are we willing to sit under the truth of God's word and allow that to the gospel to change our lives, even when it puts us at odds with the world around us? So in verse 5, he goes on to kind of, what does the charge require Timothy to do? As we talked about throughout, you know, Paul's intention is a full reliance and dependence on the Lord. But he says to be, all, you know, but as for you, uh, you know, as for you, be sober-minded, right? Which literally means just be free from any intoxicating influences. Timothy, as a young leader of his church in Ephesus, he's definitely confronted with a number of influences that attempt to try to pull him away from the true uh, gospel. And yet, it's not an if, uh, you know, if he's going to endure suffering. He just says, endure suffering, right? And he's again being intentional with that because the Christian walk, in particular pastoral ministry, is expected and a recurrent theme of enduring suffering, Real quick, we can just see some of these passages that we've already gone through in Second Timothy. If we turn back a couple of pages, one to two there, uh, pages in your Bible at chapter 1, verse 8, Second Timothy, Paul says this. I'll give you a second there to, to get there at chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering about our Lord, nor of me his, uh, sorry, excuse me, but share in his suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then in chapter 2, verses 3 and 9, say, say this, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Then in verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So again, it's, it's not if, but he anticipates Timothy to endure suffering. And he again roots that reality of how Timothy is supposed to live in the person of Christ and keeping his eyes fixed on uh, what Christ has already done and what, will he, uh, what he will do. In Timothy's life. And so he finally says, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Paul makes clear we should be preaching 
the word, right, in a way that reaches both the unbeliever and the believer, those that have placed uh, trust in Christ and those that haven't. And, and often this looks like coming alongside in relationship and, and discipling someone, right? Uh, there's uh, ways that that can look, and yet if we are acquainted with the sacred writings that are, uh, you know, have the ability as we place our faith in Christ Jesus and has the ability to make us complete, ready to do every good work, then out of that we are called to, to preach the word and do the work of an evangelist, each one of us. And so another point of application in, in, as we uh, look at this portion of the text, I would ask this question, what would it look like if as a church we lived out uh, you know, our lives in light of the gospel? So thinking back of the inaugurated kingdom, the already not yet, the time that we live in now, uh, in which Christ has already come, he's called us to make disciples uh, of all nations, what would that look like? And I would venture to say uh, that we would be living uh, in light of this good news. There would be urgency, there would be an excited expecta- uh, you know, anticipation and uh, an expectation of Christ's return. So as we move to our final section there, of uh, verses 6 uh, through 8, and we think about Paul's uh, Christ-centered perseverance until death. You know, Paul's perspective is incredible. You know, despite the suffering and imminent death that he's facing, that he currently faces, he's anchored in both the past the present, and the future of what Christ has already accomplished and what he will. So in verse 6, the the present, uh, for I am already being poured out. He uses, uh, you know, the, um, the, the context there of a present reality of, of being poured out, uh, for I am already being poured out. And this is in the situation of that pending death, and we know that death for Paul is gain, right? He says in, in uh, Philippians 1.21, he says that for, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So as we see that, you know, as he's being poured out as a drink offering, it was a, a very instantaneous uh, reality in, in the Old Testament. A drink offering would be poured out and, poof, right, it would be very quick and, and yet, uh, it was a pleasing aroma, right? And, and Paul has this in mind of using that Old Testament language to signify his sacrifice of, of his life for the gospel's sake. And even the, the passive language that he's using here, he, I think he's intentionally you know, showing that you know, Christ, uh, you know, God is the one acting. He's the primary actor of, uh, of Paul sacrificing his life. And then finally, uh, in the departure, uh, in the original language there, that, that meaning would be more of a loosening uh, of a ship, right, from its docks. So he's being intentional about saying that his life is not done, right? There's, uh, God has a, a purpose and a plan for Paul's life, and he recognizes that this is uh, the beginning of, a, a, you know, eternity, C.S. Lewis in, in The Last Battle, uh, talking about the, the children who died, uh, says this. 
they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. So again, uh, you know, Paul is is clearly uh, stating uh, he is anchored and rooted in what Christ has uh, has done in his life, and he's present in that moment, knowing the future reality of eternity. And then in verse seven, he he reflects back on the past, and he says, "I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith." And you might read that, and it's, well, is, is Paul being pretty arrogant here, right? Is he saying, you know, I've done this, uh, and yet he's stating that he's finally finished the life that God had ordained for him. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, and 10, uh, Paul is again talking to an early church there in Corinth, and he, he says this. I think we got that slide there, maybe. Yeah. For... For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I have persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So Paul's perspective, again, is is incredible. He, He is... Uh, all the adversity and suffering. You talk about a gentleman that went through suffering. He was a, a, a person that gave, sacrificed his life for the gospel. And I would ask us, are we willing to sacrifice our lives for the sake of the gospel, for allowing others to hear that good news? And then in verse 8, he looks at this future reality of a crown of righteousness. And this, again, is important. He's being intentional and saying, you know, as sinful human beings, we're in need of righteousness. It's not a crown of glory. It's, uh, it's a crown of righteousness. And as we've uh, learned in our uh, study of Romans, right, if you haven't listened to those sermons, I, I would uh, highly go back and listen to those. But, uh, you know, Christ is in the business of righteousing the unrighteous, right? And that's, that's powerful, the perspective that Paul has as he faces his death, his last words ever written. And not only that, he doesn't say, hey, this is the crown of righteousness that I have. He applies it to everyone uh, that what? That love his appearing. So we all are in need of that uh, crown of righteousness, that crown of righteousness that only comes through Jesus Christ. And, and that is by saying, you know, we love his appearing. And that, what that means, Paul has, has intentionally uh, gotten verse 1 and verse 8 uh, of saying, you know, Christ has already come in his first appearing, and we're living in light of that in the inaugurated kingdom. And yet, now we are, finally, we are living in excited expectation and anticipation of his second coming. And it's out of that that we can share the good news and preach the word. So in Titus uh, chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, I think we got it on the screen. You're welcome to turn there if you want. Uh, Paul, again, is, is talking to another uh, early uh, young leader 
of Titus and thinking about the book of Titus, the instructions of, of running a church, right, in, in a, a biblical way, uh, says, says this to Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we see that again, and you can, you're welcome to keep it up there so folks can see it there, the, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul roots uh, this charge in verses 1 through 8 in the person of Jesus who is, is going to come judge the living and the dead and to purify and redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, for zealous for good works. So there is a clear heart transformation that, uh, that comes when we fully place our trust in Christ and what he's done for us. And he's calling uh, a people that only what he has done on the work on the cross, living a perfect life and dying and rising again, that we can have salvation, right? There's, uh, we are in need of that salvation as sinners, as we place our trust in him. He calls us out of that posture to preach the word and uh, to share the good news with others that he has already come. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's a powerful charge, and, and it's one of Paul's, as I said earlier, uh, last words, uh, last written words that we know of to Timothy that's, uh, you know, Steve will do clean up, so any, uh, you know, heretical things that I said today, he can certainly, you know, clean that up. I told Steve, it's, you know, it's a layup today, right? This is a, such a powerful passage, but in a basketball term, everybody's known to miss a layup in their life, so who knows? He's got to catch the rebound, two-hand dunk next week. <laughs> So uh, all that to say, you know, the, the amazingness of uh, the gospel and how it can change uh, our lives if uh, we place our trust in Christ and what he's done for us. Because what is Titus uh, eleven fourteen? 14? He, he is uh, redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. So, Brian and the team, you can uh, come back up, and just in uh, in closing here, I, I wanted to kind of think about, you know, as Paul gives this last uh, charge, it's an urgent charge uh, to Timothy uh, of preaching the word. He roots it, like I said, in uh, Christ as the righteous judge and in his appearing, and he's coming again to establish that, uh, his kingdom forever. And so I would ask this question, you know, for those of us who have not made a commitment to Christ, what are the influences and messages, messages that, uh, we're listening to currently? So I would ask, have, have you examined the Bible thoroughly to see, uh, it's the ultimate truth rather than, uh, the messages of our culture? 
And I would ask those you know, of us that have placed our trust in Christ, are we living with the same urgency that Paul calls Timothy to in preaching the word to the people he encounters? Right? Are we diving into scripture ourselves to allow it to change our hearts and minds even when it confronts uh, our natural inclination of drifting, right? our natural inclination of, of going our own way and, and following our own desires. Right? We're in need of a Savior, and that is uh, only in Christ and what he's done for us. Um, so I would leave you with this. Uh, let's be a people that live with that urgency of preaching the word that only comes through fully relying on the person of Jesus and anticipating his coming return. Read a passage out of Romans chapter 8. Leave this with you. Uh, Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you uh, for just your word and how it uh, has the ability to transform us as you have uh, you call us to live um, in righteousness when you have, have changed our hearts, Lord, when we um, place our trust in you. Lord, I, I know uh, as we see in the text today and here in Romans that uh Nothing can separate us from the, the love of Christ, Lord. And we just thank you for sending your son and providing a way of salvation for us that we uh, can have a personal relationship and to, to have a savior um, to pay the penalty for our sin. And Lord, help, help us this week to live with that urgency of how the word changes our hearts and minds to make us more like you so that we can share the truth of the gospel even when it is offensive and even when it confronts and puts us at odds with the world. And so I just thank you for your enduring love and your steadfast love, um, and we can rest in that as we go out and, and preach the word. Lord, and we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.